morning we're launching a series, uh, Revival.me. How many are looking forward to this? This is going to be fun. How many love revival? You know the word revival is actually not even in the Bible. <laughs> it, gets, it gets so quiet when you say things like that because everyone's like, what are you talking about? Now the concept of God, the word revive is actually in the Bible. Do you know the word revival is not even in the New Testament? The concept of God giving us life is, the word life is, but it's funny, we, I think in our Christianity sometimes we strive for things that God has already given us. And I want to talk about what revival is. Now, this series is going to be revival in us, and then we're going to just go through different prepositions. In us, through us, upon us, around us, before us, past revivals, ahead of us. And we're going to talk about what revival is and, and how it affects us. And this morning, I'm going to... Um, I'm going to try to lay a little bit of a foundation of what I believe is the heartbeat and the core of revival. And sometimes as Christians, we miss it. We think revival is a meeting, but then behind the meeting, there's a mess. And how many know that the revival is not just, it's not just a meeting. Revival is God's life inside of us and working through us and what happens uh, in that. And, and you know, uh, some things that we're not really good at in, in church, relationships being one of them. Um, and I think it's really the centerpiece of what revival actually is, is knowing one another and being known by one another in the love of God. Like, how can we evangelize if, if we're not even functioning like a healthy family? How can we call a broken world into this family, the family of God, if if we're not loving one another, forgiving one another, and this synergy of Trinitarian life is flowing in and through us, that's revival, church. The revival, you know the first revival in the ministry of Jesus was when he turned water into wine. Jesus displayed the glory of God at a celebration of covenant, marriage, and family. Come on. And so there's something about the fount of revival that sometimes we miss. You know, we'll enjoy the streams of revival. I believe revival is important. Like I'm, I'm the type of guy, if, if somebody had a, a, like a revival conference and they invited me to preach, I would be so excited. Or if we, you know, like in a couple weeks, I get to preach on past revivals. Oh, we're probably going to have altar calls. Come on, somebody. Like, we're going to go for it. And I'm going to just, I'm going to fire on everybody. We're going to have a blast. I love that stuff. But what's important is, is that we allow life, God to revive, awaken us in our identity so that we can have a lasting uh, fruit-bearing revival. There's a lot of past revivals that turn into a mess. You know, there's uh, sexual affairs and money scandals and all sorts of things, you know, there are, uh, so, sorts of things that have to do with character and the heart and identity. You know, you, you can have a powerful anointing, but if you don't have character to keep that anointing functioning through your life, y y it's going to be messy, right? And so I want to share with you uh, of some of the heartbeat. I'm going to be reading out of Thessalonians and we're going to start in chapter 2. I'm going to just read some verses to you. Um, before I do, I want to say this, that uh, I got to go to Disneyland, actually California Adventure, um, with, uh, with my wife and my daughter. It was like a late graduation present. So I flew down there, and, uh, and I surprised her. It was awesome. How many saw the video on Facebook? I was just, you know, showing off a little bit, my fatherly love to my daughter. And it was fun, um, but I'm tired from that. Jesus have mercy on Disneyland. 
I mean, I just don't think it's from God. So, um, no, I'm kidding. We have fun. We have fun there. Uh, but I am a little tired, and we got back in yesterday. And I was thinking about something. I, I got to fly down there. Flight is a miracle in and of itself. Like, the fact that you can go across the world in a day, or you can just get rid of a four-hour trip. Come on, somebody. You can get rid of a four-hour trip and just fly to Orange County in 40 minutes. Come on, somebody. And I'm on the plane, and, uh, I, and I'm, like, excited to get there and then take an Uber to the park, and or I'm texting Rochelle and, and trying to set it up. Like, I want you to come into a store, and then I'll just, like, sneak up behind Sarah and be like, hey, you want to go on some rides? And that's exactly what I did. It freaked her out. She's like, who's this person touching me, you know? I put my arm around her, and, uh, and it was just a sweet moment. But I'm flying, and I hear the flight attendant. She's doing her thing, right? Like, how many have flown before, and they do their every time. They have to, FAA regulations. Like, they, they, the seat belt, the, uh, have you ever heard this joke before? I, I actually want to do this at some point in my life, where, you know, the, let's say the flight attendant leaves that little oxygen mask thing that they use on the side, grab it and hide it, and then wait till the guy next to you falls asleep, <laughs> put that bad boy on, and then elbow him, and just see how he responds in that moment. That's horrible, but I want to do it. Make sure the brother's not too old. He might have a little ticker issue. I don't want a heart attack on my hands. But she's doing her thing, and, and she says this phrase, and it, it stuck out to me. Like the Holy Spirit started speaking to me through this. She says, we're honored to be a part of your journey. And I thought about that phrase, and I, I actually thought about, wow, that's, that's a powerful phrase. Like, I've said that to people, and I've heard people say that to me, and, and I think we should say that to one another, and we should say it and mean it, right? Like, sometimes we don't know the weight of the word honor. Honor, actually, the word honor actually means weight. Uh, it's more than just flattering somebody. I honor you, brother. You know, praise God. You're wonderful. Honor. It's, it's not just honoring someone it, uh, or flattering them with words. Honor, there's weight and substance. It flows from the heart. It flows from love. And it flows from this reciprocal self-giving love where it actually will influence somebody else to do what they are created to do and to walk in their true identity in God. In other words, like in a marriage, like just now as I'm reading those things, I'm not just being sappy as a husband and saying I'm, I love my wife and showing off. I'm honoring my bride with words and, and honor carries weight. And so with the words that I'm speaking to her, this, this is in Ephesians 4.29, it says, don't let corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but only that which is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Words can impart grace. Words can also impart disgrace, which is the same word for dishonor. And as I'm speaking to my wife, here's, here's what words that carry honor do. They they cause us to fly and soar in our identity. Now, words of dishonor can do the same thing. If we let them affect us, if we allow the weight of words to affect us, words can actually shackle us and, and, and keep, make us feel icky and bound. Have you ever, uh, someone ever said something to you and you just feel kind of messed up or defiled? Jesus even said, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a man, it's what comes out of the mouth that defiles a man. As a matter of fact, I'm not trying to be superstitious or super spiritual, and I didn't plan on saying this, but sometimes we receive prophetic words that are not divine, but they're 
an imitation of the divine. I'm not talking about somebody missing it because sometimes we can miss it, but sometimes the intent behind the word is to manipulate and control. That's witchcraft, which is imitation of the divine. It's divination. And some people become defiled. If I hear a prophetic word, this is for some people in the room, and I don't think that it's from God, I don't put it on the shelf, I reject it. Because if I receive it, I can become defiled and a veil of deception can come over my mind until somebody comes along my side that I love and trust and speaks into my life and breaks that thing off of me. You don't know when you're deceived. The easiest way to stay out of deception is to trust someone, the Holy Spirit in somebody else, a friend, community, amen? Otherwise, we'll never know. And so even the concept of God told me, like if someone can't question, if, if our pastoral team can't question what I'm saying God is telling me, then I am, I am in essence becoming my own God voice. Like I, I'm becoming my own God, little g. If I can't allow people to question what God tells me, and this is common like in the charismatic movement, what God told me, God told me, God told me. So there's, there's this, uh, this thing about words and honor. And I was thinking about this in this phrase. She says, we're honored to be a part of your journey. And I'm thinking, I'm like, no, you're not. I don't, I'm never gonna see you again. Obviously she's doing her job, right? Flight attendant. Have you ever had somebody in your life that said that, but there, it was like a flash in a pan, they're gone, right? And then you have people that you're seated with in life. Like, how many flyers do we have in the room? How many are very experienced flyers? So there's turbulence sometimes in the air, right? And sometimes it can get pretty rough. And I remember as a young kid, and my mom was a flight attendant, so I flew all the time. And one time we were flying, and, and uh, it was snowing, and the plane had to, like, circle around the city for quite a while because it was so messed up. They had to, it usually, uh, if it's really bad, they will go to another airport. But we were in Denver, and uh, we finally landed in the snow. I mean, there's like snow everywhere. The whole plane clapped. You know when the whole plane applauses <laughs> that you made it on the ground, it's a big deal. Come on, somebody. But how many know there's turbulence? Here's what happens sometimes. We, we have people in our life that are just, you know, those flight attendants. Like, I'm honored to be a part of your journey, but really they're not. And, and, and maybe like we've said that and we've been the flight attendant kind of like in somebody's life. Like, we don't really mean it. And then there's the people that were seated next to you. It's funny, I'm on the, on the plane and it's a small plane and, and there's that awkwardness when you don't know somebody who's sitting next to you, like, well, who gets to use the armrest? Can I put my elbow there? I'm reading a book, he's reading a magazine. And so we kind of like switched on and off and it's so awkward when you don't have an armrest. It's like, you know, and, and so there, there's that. And there's people that you're, that you're seated next to in life and, and sometimes there's turbulence. Have you ever done this metaphorically? You've been on the journey and you hit some turbulence and you just hit the eject button because you're like, I'm out of here. And then later on, I've done this so many times, I'll pull the rejection card and say, no, you rejected me. But really, I ejected myself out of the situation. And I'm listening to the flight attendant say this. I'm like, man, it's, it's life, isn't it? Like you have people in your life that say, I'm honored to be a part of your journey. And then you have people that you're seated next to you, that you rub elbows next to, you fight with. Don't ever, before you fly, YouTube plane crashes. It's not a good idea. I lit, the day before I flew out, I woke up, I was on a plane in my dream and the, the plane was like landing and there was this pop, pop, loud. And I got up and I'm like, Shandarabakaraba. And I'm like in my bedroom. I shouldn't have watched those videos, but I watched some plane crash videos. I've been fascinated with aviation. I don't know why. How many know planes today are safer than cars, right? 
And so, at least that's what they say. They say it, so it must be true. And uh, <laughs> they say a lot of things, don't they? Who is they anyways? I don't know who they is, but. Uh, so I, I, I'm watching videos on YouTube. I click on this video and there's these people full on brawling on the plane. Sounds like life, right? I mean, like Jerry Springer, they're scrapping. The flight attendant was very passive. Guys, please stop. You know, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, dude, if I was the pilot, the pilot gets on, he's like, ladies and gentlemen, I've turned on the fasten seatbelt sign. Uh, I'd appreciate it if everyone can sit down. I know there's a situation. Yeah, dude, people are throwing blows on the plane he, in this pilot. And I'm like, here's what I would do. And I probably would have got fired. I'd say, yo, co-pilot, here's my phone. Go strap yourself in the jump seat in the front and film this. And I would just go down about 25 degrees. I don't know, until everyone was weightless that was not belted. So they would go from swinging to swimming in the air. And then, and then I'd flatten the plane out and you know them rascals can go right back in their seats. Come on, somebody. I'll fix that problem. I'm not a peacekeeper. I'm a peacemaker. Come on, somebody. I'll put my foot down. I might lose my job, but the co-pilot got it on film. I'll put it on YouTube. I'll become famous. Come on, somebody. Pilot declines, causes weightless fight passenger. I don't know what the title would be, but everyone would click on that thing. Come on, somebody. But isn't it true that we have people in our lives that, are, that come and go? And sometimes we even hear messages that accommodate to the rejection card that we pull. Like, you know, it accommodates to this mentality that I was a victim in this relationship. And it, very, it might be the case, you know, like we, relationships can cause pain. But when we talk about the subject of revival, we can't pass up the core element of what it really means to live. I love this quote in this book I'm reading by Callistus Ware, and, and he talks about living the life of the, the Trinity, and, and he talks about the life of God and the Trinity and community, that we are, not, we are not persons, we're just individuals, unless it's through reciprocal relationship. Like we're just on the, on the census. We're just a number on the census until we are in relationship and then we become a person. And he's talking about the very essence of who God is. God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And so living life and, and, and really being alive on this journey is gonna come uh, through relationship with God and with community. And sometimes we miss this core element of revival. Now I want to read some of my, they, like, it, I don't really go to buffets anymore unless it's a really good one. Now, if, you, if you're not from Vegas, like, when you first came to Vegas, who wasn't from here and you went to buffets all the time or you visited, right? And then they just get old. Like, I don't want mashed potatoes eight times, you know? <laughs> but I have certain places in the scripture, I believe all of the scriptures inspired, but how many know that some people have a, have a revelation of certain things, certain teachers, and, they, and I, I go back to this part of 1 Thessalonians often because I can hear the heart of God beating through the Apostle Paul, and he's saying something, I believe it's relevant to the launching of this series, Revival.me. And I want to read it to you, and we're going to start. Are you all enjoying this so far? First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 17, we're going to read a few verses. But brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you, for we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did it again and again, but Satan blocked our way. Notice that Paul attributed 
to the separation of he and this precious community to Satan, not God. Let that settle for a minute. Sometimes, and, I, and this is an issue I have, okay? I have an, I have an issue with uh, words. You know, we talk about itching ears. The, the scripture talks about this, things that we want to hear. And so sometimes there's messages. People will say, oh, it's just a feel-good message or whatever. But sometimes messages and teachings and things we hear, it, is, it, it, is, it tickles our ears. We want to hear something that accommodates to our past victimization so that we don't have to rise up and we can stay irresponsible and powerless and keep blaming everyone else. And then we step into community and we have relationship issues again and the common denominator once again is not everyone else, it's me. And until we admit that, now here's, here's what I would just want to, I want you to chew on. Paul attributes the separation not to God, but I've heard messages that are like, God took that person out of your life. Now, I do believe that sometimes as humans, we have dysfunctional relationships. We need to learn how to set boundaries, amen? Like if there's abuse or whatever, I no, I don't, wouldn't even tolerate, talk about a pilot declining and making, if there's a fight like that going on, I'm the first to step in and say, no, no more of that. And, and so we don't, we're not a doormat, but it's always about forgiveness and reconciliation. And God never empowers us to keep harboring offense and bitterness and stuff in us that's gonna hurt us. Like it's, you've heard the definition from an old poet. Some of you have heard Joyce Myers quote it, but an old poet says that basically like drinking bitterness or, or being bitter is like drinking poison, hoping that the other person will get sick. Bitterness affects our soul and our heart. And so Paul says the reason we're separated was not God. It's not, well, God is in control. We just have to do it in divine timing. Hmm, interesting. He said, no, it's Satan. Well, God allowed Satan. Well, I mean, where, where do we draw the line? Does he allow Satan to do everything, to steal, kill, and destroy? Does he allow Satan to kill babies and, and things like that or allow rape? And No, there is natural laws and spiritual laws in the world, and God does not exhaustively, meticulously control everything, so we need to stop blaming him. Paul says it was Satan that kept us from being together. Are you understand what I'm saying? Hear my heart, that sometimes this deception will creep in because we don't fit into community, but really God's trying to fitly frame us together and it's painful and it takes years and it, there's a difference between a gathering and an assembly. How many have ever bought a bike for their kid and you bought it not assembled? If you're like me, that's a big mistake. I'm impatient, I don't read instructions. I look at the picture and I put that thing together. I don't need the wrench, just give me a monkey wrench, I'll get this thing done. But how many know there's a big difference if you put a bunch of pieces together versus assembling them together? Well, I wonder why sometimes the body of Christ is not mobilized for the purpose they're created to do is because we don't allow God, we don't take the time, we jump ship, we eject ourselves out of the situation, the slightest turbulence because we live in fear, because we don't have flying miles. It, ta it takes time. There's a price to pay for revival in the sense, the foundation, it springs from healthy relationships and love. I spent a little too much time on that, but I want you to get that. It was Satan that blocked their connection, not God. 
There's some relationships that we just need to say, nope, I'm gonna love you from a distance. Come on, somebody, right? <laughs> love your enemies. I'll love my enemies from a distance. I'll call you and I'll send you a card and I'll pray for you and I'm not harboring no bitterness against you. Amen? But there's some relationships God's like, no, I didn't do that. They chose that and the enemy used it. So let the walls come down. It's always about forgiveness and reconciliation. Always. It's always God's heart. And it's always the Christian's heart because now we're the Ark of the Covenant. Where was the mercy seat? Right there on the top of the Ark. Our hearts should be like the mercy seat, perpetual love and forgiveness. So Paul, the heart of Paul, hear this. I love this. It was, it was the enemy that did it. And then he says this in verse 19. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ when he comes? Is it not you? Paul's like, you're the crown. You're the treasure. You're the prize. Isn't that so powerful? See, honor doesn't just make us say things that are nice. Honor creates an atmosphere in which we see everything differently. All of a sudden we see, like I was sharing with my wife, thank you for seeing the gold around all my dirt. Sometimes all you see is dirt. Dirt won't hurt. Come on, somebody. Rub a little dirt on it. I don't even know why I'm saying that. My dad... To rub a little dirt on it when you, my dad used to say that when I'd fall and skin my elbow. I think I need a sozo from that. Like, dad, put a band-aid on it. Rub a little dirt on it. It's trying to make me tough. How many times we just see dirt though? Especially when we get close. It's like a, there's beautiful paintings in the world. We were talking about this yesterday that they look really good from a distance, but then you get close and you're like, this is the painting I've seen pictures of my whole life. I traveled all the way from America to Italy to see this, and it's distorted. It's, and it's just, the, the be but the beauty of things, sometimes it's hard to see when you're really close. Like the old poet said, familiarity breeds contempt. It shouldn't, but it does. And so we have to be able to see past the dirt that there's gold, and sometimes you gotta dig deep, right? And, and there's gold, there's gold in there. And we learn to honor. We learn to honor. And this is what Paul is telling the church, like, you're my crown. I see who you really are. You're a treasure. You know, there's times, I'll just be honest with you, I, sometimes I'm like, I'm blown away at, at our church, our community, our leaders, our staff, our worship team. And I simply can't, I, all I can say is, that, like, it's just treasure, it's just God's treasure. Every single one of you, our leaders, can you give God praise for this church family? Come on. And everyone that serves our serve team. My wife and I were bragging about people after conference, like just shining stars, man. Just, I mean, our prayer team and people that God has just brought into this house as pillars, man, pillars. And God is genuinely creating something. It's a wineskin to contain new wine, not just a revival that's a flash in a pan, but, but a choice to say, I'm gonna stick it out. Even though we're gonna, we might fight on this journey and go through some turbulence, I'm not hitting the eject button. I'm not jumping out the window because we're only on the first floor. Come on, somebody. We gotta keep going into this thing and just and, and allow God to forge us together so that we can see nations saved. 
I want to read a few more verses. This Timothy, uh, Paul's encouraging. He says, you indeed are our glory and joy. Now here's what Paul did. Paul couldn't go, so he sent his son. Apostles are always about family. Church's family, revival's family. Revival flows out of healthy marriage, healthy family, healthy church, healthy relationships, family, love. It's, it flows because the, it's the centerpiece of the life-giving love of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Life-giving love from relationship itself in Christ, that's revival. So revival is not just coming up and getting slain in the Spirit, then going back and hating people and sucking at marriage and relationships. And having horrible character. In this context, he, in just a moment, Paul is rebuking sexual immorality. He's like, that's not love, guys. And, and what's happening is like dudes are sleeping with other dudes' wives. And I mean, oh, that's a mess, right? And there's even some past revivals that turn into a mess. Because we're not getting that relationships are the centerpiece and the fount of true revival. Revival.me, revival in us. If revival's in me, in me, then it's gonna flow out of me by relationships. Let's just read a few more verses here. Timothy uh, is now coming. So he's like, I, I'm sending my son. This is the heart of a father, the heart of an apostle. And he says this, and he has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distresses and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. Now listen, Paul's writing. This is one of the earliest uh, uh, like letters written in the New Testament. Some scholars believe it was the first. I don't know if it was, there's a dispute on that, but this was written right before 70 AD. If you study early church history, it was a very rough time. We don't know persecution like what was going on right before 70 AD. And Paul's saying, I know it's rough, I know it's turbulent, but I was so blessed by knowing that you were sticking it out and that you had faith in the midst of all of these trials. And here's what he says. He says, for now, we really live. Paul's saying something. That little tiny phrase in verse eight is so powerful to me because he's saying, listen, that's revival. Now we live. It's the Greek word that we get the word zoe from, John 10, 10. The thief, everyone knows it. Come on, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, I have come that they might have life and life more abundantly. Abundant life, overflowing life, revival overflows out of what Paul's writing here. He says, for now we really live. It's the same Greek word. Actually, the root word for zoe is this word in the Greek. And then he goes on, he says, since you are standing firm in the, in the Lord, how can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we might see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Paul is coming from this place of Trinitarian love, like I can't wait to give to you and to encourage you. The spirit of dissension, offense, and all that literally is rooted in narcissism. When we walk in Trinitarian, true revival, life-giving, self-giving love, there's never room for that. How can, how can there be stagnant waters when it's a river? It's a river. There's a big difference between a pond and a river, between a dead sea and the River Jordan where Jesus was baptized where, wow, the first time we ever heard what the Trinity was, was in a river. 
the voice from heaven. You see it in Luke chapter three, Matthew. Luke chapter three, the voice from heaven. This is my son in whom I will please. And the Holy Spirit's right in the middle of all that because the Holy Spirit always empowers real fellowship and koinonia, interchange of intimate emotions, thoughts, interactions. This is, listen, saints, this is what, this is, what is going to empower us to reach the most broken people and melt the most hearted hearts. Is the, Jesus said, they will know you are my disciples by what? The worship songs you sing? No, I'm just playing. They'll know you're my disciples by the love you have for what? The world? No, for one another. Well, we got to get out in the streets and evangelize. Yes, but if we suck at relationships, what's the point? We're having babies with, and there's no homes to put the babies in. There's no families. There's all these little babies, and what do they turn into? They have to go to an orphanage, and a lot of our churches are just orphanages. Because we don't know what revival is. Because revival is love and family and relationships and health and forgiveness. Come on. There's no room for racism. There's no room for unforgiveness. There's no room except that which proceeds from the heart of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Trinitarian, self-giving love. And we just love, 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 love. And that doesn't mean we're passive. It's the opposite. We're active. We're correcting. We're moving forward. We're advancing the kingdom. We're not like, you know, passive Christians. Well, I just love everyone. No, we tell the truth. We stand up for injustice and stand up for righteousness. That's what love does. That's who love is. Can you say amen? amen. I feel like I'm preaching way better than you're responding, but that's okay. I love you. So Paul says, now we really live. And I can't stop praying for you. And every time I'm in the presence of God, I think about you. I'm sitting in worship. I mean, can you imagine? In the manifest presence of God, we're just sitting and we're praying and we're experiencing his love. And we begin to think about the ones that we treasure, the ones in our hearts, and we pray for them. Oh, Father, would you touch them? Mamas begin to pray for their prodigal. That's how revival starts. Mamas praying for their prodigal sons and daughters to come home. And we see the world through the eyes of heaven. And we see the broken and the hurting. And we don't see dry bones like Ezekiel 37. No, we see an army of the living God. And then we realize our responsibility in the matter that we're to call the four winds of heaven from the north, the south, the east, and the west. Say, no, you might see dry bones, but God says that's an army right there. And I'm just waiting for a reforming. It's called a reformation. And it's a reformation of love. And if we want to see revival and reformation, we've got to understand that it's the fitting together, the ligaments of this army. These bones come together. Love is the ligament. Revival comes out of a heart of love and healthy relationships. And then he says, I can't wait to just give you what you're lacking. Now may God and Father himself, our Lord Jesus Christ, clear the way for us to come to you. He's praying like, I want this obstacle to be broken. I'm tired of, I want to connect with you. The heart of the Apostle Paul, the Father. Apostles have this fatherly heart. It's always about family. Church is family, guys. Church is family. And then he goes and he says, may the Lord make a way. And he says, may the Lord, this is so powerful. Come on, I want to close with this, verse 12. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other. 
and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you'll be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when the Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Can I paraphrase for you? He's saying, you know, that love that, that we're learning here, the love that I displayed to you, the love that I'm talking about between, and that love overflows to the world. God looks at that and says, that's holy. That's what I'm talking about. He says, that's holy. We want to walk in holiness? Just love. It's who we are. We're sons and daughters. Holiness is a gift. It's not something we do. It's who we are. Holiness is participation in divine, in divine life. Like we partake of the divine nature by faith. We trust. We believe. And faith sometimes is actually admitting, I doubt. I doubt a lot. It's so funny the way we think of faith. We think of this, this mentality of like, I believe. I believe. I got to believe. I gotta believe. No, no doubtful thoughts. No doubtful. How many have ever done that? <laughs> when you say that, you know what? I don't know how. I, I, yeah, I do doubt sometimes. And you let go, and you just rest in Mister Faith, Jesus, and the one who holds everything together. Say, God, I trust you. The flavor of faith is rest and trust. It's not striving. It's not mental assent. It's not believing in the terms of Greek philosophy. It's it's heart resting and trusting. The Bible is written from a Hebrew worldview, not a Greek worldview. We've, we've got to unlearn all the Greek philosophy that's crept into the church. The way we see God, it's toxic. And he says, the way you love each other and the way that love overflows, God's like, that's holy. That's what I'm talking about. Then he goes on. I'm going to just paraphrase and go through. He rebukes sexual morality. He rebukes inordinate affection. Sometimes this can happen in revival cultures because we don't understand this relational thing, that, that community sacred. There's a time that Randy Clark rebuked some Bethel students because they were being inordinately affectionate and calling it brotherly and sisterly love. But it was out of order. And then Paul goes on, and he says, there's sexual morality going on. Brothers are taking other brothers' wives, and he's like, no. That needs to stop. And he says it, really, read it. It's, he says it real serious. He's like, and if you think this is just me saying it, you're wrong. This is God saying it. Like he just pulls out the big guns. And look what he says right here in verse nine. At the end of that thought, this is so powerful. Now about your love for one another, we do not need to write you for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. Can I just say this? Revival begins and continues and it's sustained when we allow God to teach us how to love. Well, we got to pray for the sick. Yeah, just love them. When you love them, they get healed. Bam, like that. Come on. Hello. Are you with me this morning? When my sister-in-law, when I got the call that she stopped breathing for 40 minutes, you know what kicked in? It wasn't the revivalist Zach. It wasn't. It was, that's my sister-in-law. No. No, 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 no. Paramedics are working on her. They're pulling Mama Lori, Mama Lori. They're probably like, this lady's crazy. She stopped breathing for 40 minutes. 45 minutes. We got on the phone. I remember I was not in the mood to pray. I just got off work and I was hanging out with my pops. Had some sushi and I think I had a little sake too. God uses broken vessels, you know that? That's the only types of vessels he uses. Holiness is a gift. And I, and I start praying, and my wife and I start praying. 
and I'm pacing. And the faith of God rose. I had no faith in the moment, but then the faith of God rose up on the inside of me. And I'm like, no, 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 no. And as soon as we declared, Father, breathe life into her, she came up from lifelessness to a big breath of air. Come on, somebody. You know how we raise the dead? Love. You know how we see drug addicts delivered? Love. Revival's love. God, teach us how to love. You want revival in you? God, teach me to love. Break my heart for the things that break your heart. I want to see the world like you see the world, but it doesn't start there. It starts with, I want to see my bride like you see my bride. I want to see my kids. Where are my kids? I just want to hug them right now. I want, to, I want to see what love really is. I want that to just overflow. And that revival overflows out of strong marriages and strong family and strong relationships. And anything else is a bypass of the way God created it. It's an obstacle. It's diverting a river. It's supposed to flow from that place. Can you say Amen. He goes on in closing, he says this, the way you love each other, God taught you. I don't teach you that. God taught you that. You've been taught by God how to love. And in fact, you love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, do so more and more. Isn't that beautiful? Some of my favorite portions of scripture. I wanna pray for you. I wanna let you go. We have a service in 10 minutes. Let's start the countdown um, at 11.30 instead of 11.25. Can my bride, honey, can you come up here? I'm gonna need your help. Can I pray for you right now, church? Will you stand up with me and let's just lift our hands. How many feel a stirring in their heart right now? Come on, I said, how many feel a stirring in their heart right now? I want you to lift your hands and begin to pray and, and pray in your prayer language, come on. And if you don't have your prayer language, you don't pray in tongues, you pray with understanding. Just say, Father, thank you for what you're doing right now. I receive. Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done. Come on. I see the Lord breaking up fallow ground. Breaking up fallow ground. Rivers flowing. Rivers flowing. See past the dirt. There's gold there. God, I want to see with your eyes. God, I want to see with the eyes of heaven. Come on. Let love flow. Let love abound. Let love flow. Lord, we thank you for the text this morning. Thank you for the heart of the apostolic, Lord. Thank you, that Father, this heart that says, uh, Paul is writing in the church and says, you are my glory. You are my crown. Father, we want to see the treasure that we are to one another. And we pray walls come down. And we pray revival begin in us. We don't want to be individuals. We want to be people in relationship. And we thank you. Thank you for the first revival we see in the Gospels. The first miracle and display of the glory of God was Jesus turning water into wine. He had covenant in mind because revival always honors covenant. And so we thank you for strong marriages in this place. I break every assignment of the enemy against family and marriages right now. If your marriage needs that, say, yes, God. Thank you. You're forging us together. We're going to do a, a, a marriage, a, like a marriage retreat thing soon, a couple days. And we want you guys to be a part of that. If you're married, it's going to be beautiful. But Father, I pray for every family, every son, daughter, every, we pray for this church. Thank you. You're fitly framing us together. 
And we thank you, Lord. Sometimes you prune people from our lives. The flight attendants, right? But Lord, we will not forget who we're seated next to in heavenly places, who we rub elbows with.